guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome from the $5 seats. This is the section 422 podcast episode number 48. On this episode, we will discuss the new contract of Christian Yelich as the two sides put together a deal that could allow the 2018 NL MVP to finish his career in Milwaukee. We'll discuss the similarities between Yelich's reported long-term deal with the Brewers, the one that kept Ryan Braun in Milwaukee nearly a decade ago, and we'll cover some of the latest happenings with the crew in Maryvale. Some of you might be listening to this show for the very first time. If that's the case, welcome. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash 422. That includes all the great coverage from Will on the Brewers, Eric Name on the Bucks, fantasy baseball stuff. No matter what combination of MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and EPL teams you follow, we cover them at The Athletic. Will, how's it going for you on this Tuesday evening? It's going real well. Going real well. Um not as well as it's going for Brewers fans, I think, but it's going pretty well for myself too. I'm getting getting closer to finalizing my move to Milwaukee, and then I'll be back in spring training. Uh, but yeah, man, like I said, not as good. I can't relate fully to Brewers fans who are probably head over heels for this um, as they should be, but it's going pretty well. Yeah, the terms, as they have been reported so far, seven years, $190 million on an extension to Christian Yelich. Uh, tax on uh, just two he only had two additional years left on the deal so this is seven years tacked onto that and it's a 2022 club option erased so nine more years of Christian Yelich in Milwaukee uh, is at least a possibility at this point and if you've kind of monitored the dialogue of Brewers fans over the course of this winter some of the more pessimistic corners of the fan base were playing the well, we're going to lose Yelich game like for a long time. Like this has just been this this kind of dark cloud hanging over a few Eeyores sitting out there. And I said, even if that were to happen, just enjoy the ride. I mean, this is a guy that in his two seasons with the Brewers, he's won the NL MVP award. He's finished runner up to Cody Bellinger in 2019, and he's hit 327, 415, 613. So he's been 70% better than a league average hitter while wearing a Brewers uniform, and only Mike Trout has been better than that over the last two seasons. Trout's been 85% better than a league average hitter in terms of WRC+, plus. just an absolutely uh, ridiculous run. But even if you just look at it in counting the defense, since the start of 2018, only three position players, Trout, Mookie Betts, and Alex Bregman, have returned more wins above replacement than Yelich has. He's over 15, one pitcher also did it, Jacob deGrom. So this is a huge deal, obviously, and there's going to be a news conference once it becomes official, and we're going to get comments from Yelich once that happens. But were you surprised that they got this done? Because in some ways, I think people were disappointed that the Brewers didn't make that late offseason move that we've seen each of the last two winners with Yasmani Grandal being that signing a year ago and with the trade for Yelich and the signing of Lorenzo Cain uh, two Januaries ago you know, being that big late push. Yeah, you know, this wasn't something that was 
being discussed fully as far as, okay, everybody knew that they were working on it, that sort of thing. It was pretty obvious. I mean, anybody that, that follows the game could tell you that the Brewers were certainly interested in doing this, of course, and they've made it clear how much they, they'd want to have him. Um, and, and even Christian Yelich, for that matter, has said on record multiple times how much he has enjoyed Milwaukee, but I thought the timing of it was a bit surprising, not that it was you know, somebody after it made sense, the deal certainly makes sense. But I'm just saying that the timing of it, um, it just wasn't something that was completely everybody was sort of following as far as something that was on their radar on March 3rd, 2020. Um, so yeah, I mean, and you touched on how excellent he is just as, as a player, and you, you didn't even mention the stolen bases. I mean, this guy does it all. Uh, he's, he's such a great base dealer, too. And then just off the field, he's by all accounts the guy that you want as the face of your franchise, a guy who loves the city he's in by all accounts, and somebody that is really good in the clubhouse, somebody that people look up to in the community, um, gets involved. He just checks all the boxes. And so you look at it and you say, even the most critical thinker, it's hard to come up with something that is a negative as far as this deal for the Brewers. Now you could say that pretty much every deal, especially a deal like this, the the long term deal like this, there's some risk involved, of course. Um, that's gonna that's gonna be part of it. But man, it's 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 a great day for the Brewers, that's for sure. And to your point about just the uh, the fan base. I, I feel like my welcome to the Brewers Beat moment happens before I officially joined. And this was during the uh, Brewers on Deck event in January. Uh, David Stearns and Craig Council were on a podium and they were fielding questions from fans in attendance. And the first question was, what are the chances of signing Christian Yelich to, a, to, a, to an extension? And that pretty much told me everything I needed to know about uh, where the fans stood and and what was on the forefront of their mind because that question drew a ton of applause. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was a, a big long-term question that people wanted an answer to. And, you know, I'm looking back, uh, Tom Hodgecourt from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, got a piece up earlier today and he, he cited what Antanasio said at FanFest, and at the time, Atanasio said, quote, I'm sure we'd love to have him here forever. Sure, we have the luxury of time. We want to think about it because we don't want to wait until the last year of his contract and address things at a point that we could become uncomfortable, end quote. And that just makes me think of the Mookie Bet situation and how that played out in Boston. And I think one key difference is that we really never knew if Mookie Betts wanted to stay with the Boston Red Sox. Like, that's just never really been presented in a clear way, you know, if he wants to test free agency and and set the bar for what a position player can earn, Mookie Betts has the path to do that. I think with Yelich still being two years away from free agency, wanting to sign that contract as close to his peak as possible, whether he's in the middle of that peak or just beginning the the later part of the peak, that remains to be seen. But I think that probably also kind of nudged him a little closer to you know, wanting to get this deal done at this time. So it's interesting because a lot of the things I thought about this roster were based on the idea that you know, Christian Yelich was only under control through 2022. And now you have to wonder, are there other members of this core? We talked about the Freddie Peralta extension on our episode last week. 
are there going to be other members of this core, whether it's, it's Keston Hira, uh, and who else Who else could be? Brandon Woodruff could be a part of this team you know, for the long, long-term future. I guess if I had to put a wager down on it right now, Keston Hira is probably next on the list at this point. Yeah, I would agree with you. And then I would put Brandon Woodruff probably right there. And then it depends pretty much on what you're getting from the other younger starting pitchers or pitchers in general for that matter because the way I look at it and I'm with you with that is that you kind of have to change the lens in which you view certain deals just this past offseason heading into this heading into spring training um, because clearly they were if it wasn't obvious when they were doing it it certainly is obvious now in hindsight that they were trying to put themselves in position to make this deal happen and Give them some credit here because, yes, they chose not to re-sign Grandal or Moustakis, but and third base is where we we will always go back to, and I'll always say like, look, you know, you're you're probably losing, you know, that's where that's where I can see the difference. But you know, give them some credit. It's not as if they they just didn't, you know, neglected the position or anything like that. I mean, like they they have somebody. And um, Omar Narvaez, who is who's a quality offensive catcher, and then you're going to plug in Pena to play more um, than he had in the past uh, last season, and he should give you the defense. And so there's a plan in place for to to be pretty competitive this season. And then what I like about the deal in particular for both sides is one for Yelich. I mean, you mentioned the bet situation. If I'm not mistaken, he would have been going into his age 31 season. On you know if he were if he were to have played out the the contract that he had and entered free agency that way, and so I just feel like that probably was not as great as he is. That's not ideal. I feel like, um, and then from the team perspective, you know prior to Yelich, I had them at around what something around twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven in guarantees for twenty twenty two, and then twenty twenty three they're open um, prior to the Yelich deal, of course. And so you, you look at the deals that they've made, um, like I said, this past offseason and constructing this team where they have that flexibility. And this is that instance uh, where that buzzword flexibility actually sort of pays off. And it's not like a mirage. It's not something that's you know made up or anything like that. It's not a PR spin, it turns out. like They, they have it, and it looks like there's a legitimate plan that's, that can be pretty promising. Um, because as much as there is that sort of risk, especially for a smaller market team, uh, to invest uh, a large contract into one player, I think 538 did a study on this um, a couple of years ago, where I don't think there's been a club since uh, 2003 that committed more than 20% of its payroll to one guy. And I'm not saying, you know, I mean, we don't know uh, what the payroll will look like down, you know, in a couple of years from now, exactly. But even so, like they have the flexibility to, to not even have that be what this looks like. Um, so, you know, there's some kudos to them for, for that, because I do feel like there's there's a pretty good plan that people should be excited about. Yeah, this is a, a franchise player now at this point in Christian Yelich, and he's sort of kind of taking the reins from Ryan Braun. I mean, if you go back and, and look at what Ryan Braun did in his career, he had an eight-year, $45 million contract back on May 15th of 2008. I mean, at that point, uh, the Brewers you know, 
had a lot of club control anyway, but they extended him out, and then he signed another extension uh, just under three years later, five years, $105 million. That was on April 21st of 2011. That's the contract that he's playing on right now. Uh, there's a $4 million buyout after the season. I think most people are assuming no matter how good Ryan Braun is in 2020, the Brewers are going to pay that buyout. Maybe they work out something else and extend the deal for another year or sign him to a new contract for a short-term sort of agreement. But, I mean, he could be facing retirement too. So it just seems like the torch has been passed. But the similarities in the way Yelich also had a very team-friendly deal before getting an extension and how that lines up with Braun and, and Braun's willingness to you know, extend his career and stay in Milwaukee uh, makes these two guys actually very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And it's no coincidence that the, you know, the Braun contract is falling off the books um, while this is getting, getting done. Um, But, you know, I I look for, I look more toward the future of what the Brewers can be. And, you know, are they able to build that consistent winner or even a contender around Yelich? And, you know, that's kind of the question that kind of comes to mind when you sort of analyze the deal um, in the big picture for the Brewers. And, you know, I kind of think about Braun's contract and, and the seasons that the Brewers have had with him, uh, with that contract. And, you know, I, I could kind of see the, the yellow steel being a little bit similar in, in the way it plays out where you have some, some really good years where you are competitive, but then you also have those years where you need to retool. Um, so we'll see, but if, if that's what, it, and, and I don't know, I mean, maybe, you got to give some more credit to David Stearns and company because they're the brain trust that brought Yelich in here anyway. And they're, they're not the people, I mean, they're not the group who were there way back when. So it's, it's different. Um, but even if that's sort of like the floor for it, I think it's, it's a pretty solid floor, uh, because Yelich is that good. Now, this is our our first episode that's been available on iTunes and Spotify and a lot of platforms outside of the Athletic app. And of course, if you're listening on the Athletic app, you know, you've been with us for a long time. So, you know, thanks for listening to this show and and supporting us from the jump. But my question for you, Will, as we sort of get used to working with each other, I mean, thinking about those brawn extensions, what were you doing back on May 15th, 2008? I mean, just around that general time, what phase of life were you in uh, nearly 12 years ago? (laughs) <laughs> man you're, you're crushing me on that date too because a little bit a little bit off air you know you and i were talking a, a bit about that and it's kind of funny um yeah i was in my one of my years of college where i kind of decided that this is what i was going to do um and and i watched a lot of the brewers actually because you know braun was one of those players at that time evidenced by that contract that you follow and that you're sort of watching all the time and I was um you know I was enamored uh with, with what he was doing um so like that's where I was just from like a, a baseball and career standpoint I mean I was in college and I was going I was uh you know working I was working for UPS too Derek how about that you know that's that was juggling a lot of hats um probably had one of my best relationships as far as girlfriends go as well so things were things were like turning up like things were things were promising i don't know like where i where i made the wrong turn uh <laughs> after 2008 2009 but now nah, i'm kidding of course um things are things are well but now nah, things were things were good man that was a, that was a promising time for me what about you what you have going on 
uh, I was just engaged in January of 2008, and uh, so I was probably planning my wedding at the time. My wife and I got married uh, in April of 2009, so I imagine we were checking out venues and, and doing things like that. But at the time, professionally, I was working for Rotowire. It's a fantasy sports website, and I worked there until I moved to The Athletic uh, just about a year ago, back in 2019. So uh, early career for me, it was, it was yeah, a promising time. I was just a couple years into working in fantasy sports full-time and definitely enjoyed watching uh, those Brewers teams from that era. Uh, they played a game that day on May 15th, 2008. Do you want to take a crack at some of the Brewers that were in the lineup that day? Hmm. I want to know who the starting pitcher was first, actually. He was good, and he was probably by far the best Brewers pitcher of that era. And what, Sabathia. No, it wasn't Sabathia, but it was it was a guy that had a really nice run because of injuries, didn't fully live up to potential. Uh, I think he still has a, an influence in Milwaukee, actually. Not necessarily with the Brewers, but at least in the business scene. Uh, ben Sheets? Yeah, Ben Sheets actually there started that game. They played, uh, they played the Dodgers. Chad Billingsley pitched for the Dodgers that day. There's a, there's a trip down memory lane. Uh, Jonathan Broxton, once a Brewer, was a Dodger in that game. He pitched for Los Angeles. And uh, as the Brewers lineup goes, you want to take any stabs at the starting lineup? Well, first of all, I, I, you you say that 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 year in my mind automatically goes to Sabathia, but then the month, of course, doesn't make any sense. So I was off, you know, right away, of course. Um, well, I'm gonna guess that uh, Fielder is there. Yep. Right. Weeks is probably there. Yep. He let off. Can't forget about JJ Hardy. He has to be there at shortstop, right? Right. You got the you got the top four because obviously. We we all know Braun played that day, played yeah. left field. So you get the first four in that lineup. <clears throat> Corey Hart probably played right field. Yep, you're five for five. This is where it's going to break down on yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> the bottom so half center of the field. Lineup. Center field, I'm probably not going to get. I'll be honest. Um, Craig Council was in the lineup at all that day. Council was not in the lineup that day. I'll give you a hint on the center <sighs> fielder, though. He was a prospect that people were excited about um, because of of his father. I mean that was that was the main thing people were excited about. I think with this guy, because of his father, Tony Gwynn. Yeah, Tony Gwynn Jr. was the was the center fielder that day. And, uh, and who's left? Third base. You got third, third base, base and catcher. Yeah, third third base is impossible. If you pulled third base on this one, I'd be sure that you already looked at the box score. Joe Dillon played yeah, third no, base no for the chance. Brewers that day. <laughs> no chance. How how many games did he play that season? Oh, that's a good question. Not, not a lot. What are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances of that? And then catcher, I wouldn't have. I w- I wouldn't have probably known. I, I don't even know who their main catcher was off the top of my head that season. That was a Jason Kendall year. There you go. Yeah. So, a trip down memory lane uh, from when Ryan Braun signed his first extension, signed that second one on April twenty first, twenty eleven. I don't know if we should go down that path. Uh, 20, was, was 2011 <laughs> better for you than, than 2008? 2011? Um, 2011, well, 2008, like I said, Derek, like things, things, were, things were starting. Things were starting to percolate. Things were getting going. You know, that's, it's right when I was in college. I knew what I was going to be doing. Had the internships down, was juggling some things, working at UPS. And 2011 is where things got a little bit more refined. I was at Newsday. I was covering high school sports. And so... Kind of was on that same path. I don't know if there's really anything of note beyond that, but 
but yeah, uh, decent time, decent time. The Brewers were actually off that day, April 21st, 2011. But yeah, 2011 was more of the same for me. By that time, I was married, but still worked at Rotowire. I think I was maybe still just before I started doing any sort of radio work, though. So at that time, I was just funny kid trying to write about fantasy sports on the internet with no idea uh, that there would be a future behind a microphone uh, of any kind. So nice little trip down memory lane there. The Brewers, I, I think, uh, when <laughs> you're looking at the 2008 uh, standings, too, before uh, the show started, the Astros were still in the National League in 2008. That's how long ago 2008 was. I mean, 12 years ago. A lot has changed uh, since then. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically, a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, speaking of Braun, a couple of things. I had noticed that uh, David Gasper posted this uh, for reviewing the brew, but Ryan Braun's going to reach probably several milestones this year, and one of them is 2,000 hits, which is a pretty cool one. He's going to hit that unless there's some kind of injury or just very unexpected turn of events i mean i think he's pretty safely needs like 53 hits or something to get there so that's gonna happen uh but i did see that ryan braun is dealing with a sore shoulder is there any word on that being something that's gonna cost him more than a couple of days uh, in spring training it doesn't sound like it based on what craig council has been saying lately he described it as some shoulder soreness, but also said it was nothing major, and those were his words there. And also, to keep in mind, Council said that he would not have been on the field yet anyway at this point. It is his throwing shoulder, uh, but it was from hitting. So, I don't know. I don't think it's that. Uh, it, like, I, I take Council for his word on that. It doesn't sound like it's anything too serious um, as far as Ryan Braun and the shoulder goes. So I would expect him at some point. Um, you know, I think Council was saying something like the end of the end of this week. Uh, so if that timetable changes, then you start to ask a little bit more about it. But right now, I don't see it being a major issue at all. Yeah, it doesn't seem too bad just based on the way you're describing it. So we'll keep an eye out if anything happens, of course. Uh, we'll have updates on next week's show. But Adrian Hauser uh, left with a thumb injury. He was pitching in the B game against the White Sox on Monday. He left after throwing two and a third innings. Is there any indication that he's going to miss any time or miss his next spring start? He said he wasn't. So he said it was just uh, precautionary, which pretty much was exactly what everybody else has said, including Craig Council uh, the other day. 
um, which is good because Hauser's been sharp. He has he has looked really good in those out in the in his first couple of outings. I mean, the fastball has been has been really good, uh, good command of it too, and. Uh, you know, you say command, and it's like it's not just like throwing in the zone. I mean, it, 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 the movement of his pitches, man, he's just getting guys to, to chase a little bit out of the zone with it uh, deliberately. So he's just looked really, really sharp. And the caveat, of course, and we say, we've said this now three straight episodes of it being so early, but, man, I like Hauser a lot. I like his, the, the pitching profile that he was able to piece together last season. Um and I, I really liked his last start against the Rockies, and that's something that he has pointed to a couple of times as what he hopes to be sort of a, a launching pad into the offseason and spring training for him where it gave him something to look at and repeat. So I'm high on him, and it's kind of good to see it and hear that that shouldn't be a serious situation. He said that he does he, he expects to, to not miss. He doesn't expect to miss any time with it um, should pitch his next scheduled appearance. And so he should be good to go. A little more progress for Luis Urias. Uh, he was scheduled to resume hitting on the field earlier today, recording this on Tuesday night. Any word as to how that went? Yeah, by all indications, it was pretty good. He was there for a live BP. It's He's going to face some live pitching down the road as well. And the, the, the good thing for him is that he's going to still push to be ready for opening day. But in the meantime, council expects him to play in spring training games. And so that will give us a much, obviously, a better indication of where he's at. Because I'm not sure how much he was swinging um, in, in BP. He may not have even been swinging at all for now that I think about it. Um, but he will face live pitching soon, it sounds like. And then the goal is to get him to play some games before spring training wraps up um, in Arizona. So that's that's good to hear because I think at first when we when we listened to him say that his goal was to be ready for opening day, we kind of were like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a player that's just really eager to get going um, and is being super optimistic about things. But then I think about, hey, he wasn't in a cast or anything like that, and maybe he's progressing a little bit quicker than we expected. And so we'll see. Um, And the thing is, if he's not ready by opening day, it's not not like he's going to be too far off afterward anyway. So he'll be with the team probably the week after, if that. And I'm I'm guessing here, but that's, that's what it sounds like. The obligatory Corbin Burns update. I feel like we're going to be the podcast uh, that talks as much about Corbin <laughs> Burns as any that you can find. Uh, he had two perfect innings against the Dodgers on Friday as he continues to make his push for a place on the opening day roster. Uh, I saw a note fly by on Twitter. Logan Morrison says he doesn't want to go to the minors if he doesn't make the roster. I believe he's a, a minor league contract NRI in camp with the Brewers, kind of auditioning for everybody if he doesn't stick in Milwaukee. I don't think he's going to hang around unless there's an injury. I mean, do you see a path for for Lomo if everyone is actually healthy as opening day approaches? It's hard, man, because it's it's really tight. The Brewers did not did not enter spring training with a whole lot of position battles or any or, or really any openings for that matter. Um, so it, it, it's and it's tough because even before the the couple of home runs that he has hit in spring training. Craig Council was pretty high on the potential of Logan Morrison on this team. And he was, he made a point to say, like, look, man, this is a guy that's been here. He's done it. And he could be a big power bat off your bench. Um, doesn't really have 
much defensive value at this point, but off your bench to have a bat like that, that could be critical um, in, in the National League. So I don't know, man. He's That's a guy I want on my team right now if he's healthy because he's not too far removed from that big home run season. He had just, what, 2017, I guess? Um and he was—he's been hurt the past couple of seasons, and so I don't—I don't really blame him, quite frankly, for saying that. I mean, he's—he's he's not a Triple A player if he's healthy. I agree with him on that. He's—he's—he's—he has a pretty solid track record to at least be a bench player in the in the, in the, in the big leagues and and be a, a pinch hitter off the bench and in a, in a big spot um, to provide some power. Yeah, I think that limited defensive versatility though is the thing that works against them a little bit on this roster, but. We'll see how the pieces fall into place. I just had a flashback, too, to 2011. What was I doing in 2011? Probably rooting for Logan Morrison on my fantasy teams because that was a time when he was just breaking into the league. and He was a really exciting player. Like 2011, Logan Morrison hit 23 home runs. That was his career high until 2017, by the way. He hit 38 home runs in Tampa Bay. Uh, just three seasons ago he's always had good plate discipline always been able to take a walk early in his career had a lower strikeout rate I think in the last couple of seasons we've seen upper 20 percent strikeout rates from him but yeah if he sticks it's probably mostly as a left-handed bat off the bench a guy that might start a game or two here and there uh, at first base uh, one other note to pass along uh, i saw that jake faria is actually in competition for a, possibly for a bullpen spot to begin the year. But if that doesn't happen, uh, it sounds like they would potentially stretch him out and keep him at AAA. And I think the interesting thing about Faria is that while he's out of options, he's already passed through waivers. So the Brewers actually have a little more flexibility there than we might have expected just a couple of months ago. Yeah, precisely. You took the words right out of my mouth there. And I, I think he's best as a starter, too. And, and it just sort of builds their depth with that rotation because, you know, I like the rotation. And if you look at the projections, you're getting a whole lot more innings than you were ever getting in the past few years from Brewers starting pitchers. But the funny thing about those projections is sometimes they, 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 they are not taken into account, you know, the fact that Brett Anderson hasn't hasn't done it in back to back years really in his career where he's put up a lot of innings and so um, and you all you're also sort of hoping and and the Brewers are banking on the, that Josh Lindblom gives them gives them some um, quality starts and is a productive starter for them and you just don't know there there are just a couple of question marks there so to, to build some depth um, beyond just Corbin Burns and, and Peralta who are the guys that obviously and instantly come to mind um you, you you need more than that and so you know jake's a guy that's has had some success um last year of course did not end the way that he wanted it to for sure but um he he's a, he's a guy that's done it and i think he's best served being stretched out in that role will uh, before we sign off what stories do you have coming up over at the athletic We'll certainly be following up with uh, the Yelich news and trying to find some different angles to kind of push that story further, and not just further in the sense of just you know a- analyzing it and overanalyzing it, but just trying to also have some fun with it um, and, and look at it through some different perspectives as well. So, hope hopefully that comes together for us, and we're also uh, we're also going to have a larger story on Brandon Woodruff. I, I stopped by his hometown in Wheeler, Mississippi, recently, and. 
it's quite the story because I don't know how many of our listeners have ever spent time in Wheeler, Mississippi, but it, it's a very small town. So to, to, to be a guy, um, to be an all-star, to come out of that town, that's, that's a big deal. And I wanted to kind of learn more about that. So I'm excited about that. And I'm super excited to be, uh, to be covering the Yellowish news uh, for The Athletic as well. So a, a lot of good stuff on tap as we uh, get closer, Derek, to, uh, to opening day. We're almost, we're almost there, a, few, a couple more weeks. Yeah, we're closing in on the three-week mark. Definitely looking forward to uh, hearing from Christian Yelich uh, as the time comes and looking forward to your story on Brandon Woodruff as well. Uh, if you've been to Wheeler, Mississippi, hit up Will on Twitter, at Will Salmon. Let him know your favorite thing about that town. I'm at Derek Van Riper. And again, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, be sure to get 40% off your subscription at theathletic.com slash 422. If you enjoy this podcast and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We would greatly appreciate that. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.